Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, you are listening to Ratchet and Respectable with Demetria L. Lucas. I don't I don't even know how to start this podcast this week. First and foremost, before we dive into any of our hot topics, I want to pay my condolences to to the family and friends of Chadwick Bozeman who passed away last Friday. He passed away from colon cancer at the age of 43. It seems that only his family and very 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 close friends were aware. He just shot a Spike Lee movie, The Five Bloods, on Netflix. I think they finished shooting earlier this year. And Spike Lee was like, no, I I didn't know. He never said anything. Like, I totally get why he didn't tell people. No one wants to be perceived as sickly or have people, you know, feeling sorry for them or treating them with kid gloves. As far as the public goes, his health is really not our business. But with him not disclosing it, it just comes as a complete shock that no one was prepared for. And I didn't realize how strongly I felt about Chadwick Boseman. I mean, I saw the Black Panther, I want to say five times in theaters. And then when it was finally released, my mom bought it. So we watched it over and over. That was like, oh, dude, we're having dinner. I right, we'll put Black Panther on. And we would just sit there and watch it over and over and, and be shocked and awe and teared up. Like we didn't know exactly what was going to happen. Like we didn't know the whole script at that point. As much as I love Black Panther, it's not even my favorite Chadwick Boseman movie. That's um, Get On Up. The James Brown movie, he should have won an Oscar for that. And I said it at the time. I went and found the old review that I wrote for the movie when it came out. And I I said then, I was like, this is Oscar-worthy acting. But he didn't get any awards for it. Shameful. Chadwick Boseman, phenomenal actor, obviously. Also a phenomenal human. The friends and family and people who met him. I met him in passing. I took a picture with him at the Marshall premiere in DC. Really nice guy. Very humble, very personable. Was just walking around like not in VIP. And I was like, hey, can can I take a picture? Because I saw the James Brown movie and he was like, sure. But that's the extent of my encounters with him. I never interviewed him or anything. I know tons of people that went to Howard with him. Everyone's got amazing stories other actors behind the scenes, people at the craft table, like everyone. It was like, oh, he was a phenomenal human, just a phenomenal human, which, yeah, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. Everyone who we uplift is not always worthy in their character of being uplifted. Chadwick Boseman is one of those people. ABC preempted whatever programming they had planned for Friday night, and they ran the Black Panther on their networks without interruption. And then they had an after show hosted by Robin Roberts to celebrate Bozeman's life. It was very beautiful. Oprah spoke about him, Forrest Whitaker, Felicia Rashad, Iron Man. What's Iron Man's real name? He looked like he needed a hug. I was like, someone please drive to that man's house and hug him immediately because he does not look okay. Michael B. Jordan wrote very beautiful tribute to him on Instagram. Um, There were stories circulating that he was crushed I don't know if he knew that um, that Chadwick was ill, but he was crushed, which I was like, yeah, I I could see that. Like, I I met the man in passing and I'm crushed. Like, I went and sat out on the balcony with a glass of wine and just thinking about the fragility of life, how you think you have more time to do more things. But Chadwick knew that he didn't have a lot of time. And he was diagnosed four years ago. 
he shot the Black Panther, knowing his diagnosis. He shot the Five Bloods. He did um, what's the what's the follow up? What was the big one? Captain, not Captain Marvel. Infinity, it's Infinity War. He did that, knowing he had cancer. He did a lot with the the short time that he had on Earth. So, watching the Black Panther again was very comforting to me. My mom kept saying, she was like, don't watch it. Don't watch it. You're going to be sad. You're going to be so sad. Don't watch it. But I watched it anyway. Seeing him walk on the ancestral plane with the um, the navy blue and purple sky and the stars and being with the ancestors, it gave me peace. Like Chadwick is no longer with us, but he's gone to hang out with the ancestors. They're no longer here, but they've gone to a better place. Speaking of ancestors... Has anyone been watching Lovecraft Country? I know a lot of y'all are because I keep talking about it on social media. It's a new show on HBO. Remember the um, remember the girl from Underground, Rosalie? She's a star in it. Courtney B. Vance is in it. And the main black guy from The Last Black Man in San Francisco. And I'm not using their names because most people don't know their names. But you know who I'm talking about if I tell you the role that they played. This is executive produced by Jordan Peele from Get Out. And then also Misha Green. She's the showrunner. Misha was the creator and executive producer for Underground. Just in three episodes, I've seen other actors from, from Underground pop up in the series. Like episode three, there's a young boy that plays a young Gil Scott Heron. And that little boy was Rosalie. It was her little brother, James, in Underground. Lovecraft Country is not underground. This is not this is not set during slavery, but it's set during the 1950s with wilding out white people, which really not so much different than today in that sense. It's sci-fi and it's horror. And one of the most intriguing parts about the story to me is that it has monsters and it has ghosts or ancestors. They're not as scary as the white people. Like, it's like, I don't know which one to be more afraid of. Like, the white people are unpredictable. The monsters, you can kind of figure out. Okay, like if I shine some light on the monsters with the big teeth and a thousand eyes on their bodies, they'll go away because they're scared of light. You can figure out pretty easily how to deal with the monsters. You can outrun them. You can shoot them. You have a concrete way to deal with the monsters with the big teeth. The monsters with white skin, like you just, you don't know. Because you think like, oh, if I do this, you know, if I follow the rules, if I yes, sir, no, sir, if I show deference, if I keep my head down, if I humiliate myself, if I do what they say, then I still might not be all right. Like, how do you deal with the unpredictable monsters that are white folks? And one of the common themes that I'm seeing in just three episodes is the idea of community. And I'm not going to tell you any spoilers, but there's a scene in episode two where a main character is in trouble. And an ancestor appears and leads him to safety. There's a scene in episode three where a character is in trouble again. And she calls on the ancestors to help. And when the ancestors come to help her, she accomplishes her mission. And the ancestors are restored to their full selves. If this was a Spike Lee movie, Dap Dunlap would would ring a bell and yell, Wake up! I tried to get my mom to watch it. And I was like, we got to support the black people. And she was like, Mm-mm, that one is monsters. Mother did say that she would put it on the TV and leave the room or she would DVR it so that it got like a, it got like a view or a stream, but she not watching no monsters. It's a really good show. And it's very smart. I don't do horror. I don't do sci-fi. I don't really understand the rules of the genre, 
there's a podcast for the show, the official podcast via HBO, and it's called Lovecraft Country Radio. The first episode was the creator of the show, and it's had writers of the show on. For those of us who are not true fans of the genre and may struggle to keep up with the storyline, they break it all down and they introduce different themes and they understand why this scene happened and what this character was conveying. So you're like, oh, you don't feel as lost. I'm also in this Facebook group about Lovecraft Country. Last time I checked, it was like 12,000 people in there who are all very knowledgeable, either about sci-fi or history. And between people who just know the genre and then people who just know history and then people who just pay attention to every little detail, between the 12,000 of us, we can put together pretty well what's going on in every episode. But it's a really, really good show. What else is going on in the world? Andrew Gillum, remember him? His story got overshadowed a bit by COVID-19, which an undue blessing to him. We've talked about him a bunch of times. He ran for governor in Florida and lost. His version of events is that he went into a tailspin after that loss and he began abusing alcohol. This all came to national attention when he was discovered passed out and naked in a Miami hotel room with a gay escort and tons of meth. Now, Andrew, who is a married father of three, has never addressed what he was doing in the room with the gay escort. Why he spoke to reporters at the time, I'm not sure. But he told reporters that he was in town for a wedding. And then the reporters also spoke to the the male escort. And he was like, I don't know nothing about no wedding. Nobody said anything to me. Maybe there was a wedding, maybe there wasn't. But the pictures of Andrew naked on the floor, the bathroom floor in the hotel room, were leaked to the public. They went everywhere. And Andrew said that he was not abusing meth, but had reached his rock bottom and was checking into um, a facility so he could get help for his alcohol addiction. He popped up maybe maybe six weeks ago. I'll give it six weeks. He had maybe an eight-minute video on Instagram updating people on his life. He said that he had been in extensive therapy. He was getting help. He was recognizing his issues. He's becoming a changed man. He appeared to be speaking from his home office. He had on his wedding band. He had pictures of his wife and children. He did share enough details where it was clear that his wife and family had not abandoned him. I'm telling you all this because I follow Tamron Hall on Instagram and she has been having much chat about returning to the studio for season two. She's like, you'll never guess who my guest is. So excited about this guest. This is must-see TV. Okay. Well, it was revealed earlier today that Andrew Gillum and his wife will be appearing on Tamron to talk about their life. And I very much imagine that Miami hotel incident where again, naked on the bathroom floor with a gay male escort with a whole bunch of meth in the room. I don't think it's a good idea. After Andrew did that, that social media reintroduction, I was like, sir, it has been four months since you hit your rock bottom. And while I believe that you are in therapy and you are doing much better, at least I hope that you are, For whatever it took for you to reach that rock bottom place, you don't unravel all of that and heal it in four months. If he wants to be sober and he wants to return to politics, 
I mean, people have done far worse. The gay male escort was grown. If grown people want to have consenting sex, that's not my business. As a married man, married to a woman, I think you should probably just be having the sex with the woman that you're married to. Different families have different rules. But I don't think that what he did was so terrible that he can't return to politics. I mean, if the president can grab women by the hoo-ha and and still be elected president, Andrew didn't assault anyone. If he's sober, I'm willing to hear him out. After a year. I mean, I'm going to tune into this Tamron episode because I'm, I'm here to see the train wreck and I'm terrible that way. If I was someone in Andrew's inner circle, like a friend, a family member, someone who genuinely cared about his well-being, I'd be like, y'all need to sit yourselves down. Nothing good can come out of this. Because the best case scenario is you get on national television, you tell the whole truth and you say, well, yes, I, you know, was, was having sex with the gay male escort and we were doing meth and then we were also drinking and then I passed out on the bathroom floor. If he's not going to explain what the gay male escort was doing in the room, then there's really no point to this interview. And I really don't want his wife sitting up there by his side, holding his hand on some stand by my man while he confesses to fucking another man. I don't I don't want that for her. I've never seen an interview where a woman is sitting next to her husband who's confessing to cheating and other wrongdoing where the woman just doesn't look tortured. Just look like demons are pulling on her soul. I don't want to see another woman sit there and look like that. Like, you want to go do your shit? Well, do your shit and do your apology tour. Go up there by yourself. I'll be waiting in the back in the green room. I'm just saying. He's going to be on Tamron. I'm going to be tuned in. But I don't think he should do it. Hmm. In good news, Meghan and Harry have signed a Netflix deal. New York Times calls it a quote and unquote megawatt Netflix deal. Six months after ceasing to be working members of the British royal family, the Duke and Duchess of Sussex are Hollywood producers. The Times notes that they have founded a yet-to-be-named production company and they signed a multi-year deal with Netflix, which will pay them to make documentaries, docu-series, feature films, scripted shows, and children's programming, giving the couple a global platform six months after their, quote, dramatic decampment from the House of Windsor. Harry and Meghan may appear on camera in the documentary program, but the Times notes that Meghan has no plans to return to acting. Their productions will be exclusive to Netflix, which, holy crap, Netflix has 193 million subscribers worldwide. The Times was not able to find out how much Meghan and Harry will be paid. A Netflix spokesperson declined to comment. Unsurprising. But I'm not mad at the journalists for asking. It's a good question. Because I want to know. I mean, it's nosy and ain't none of my business. But I just do want to know. I like to hear about people getting good checks. Someday I would like for y'all to hear about me getting a great check. And I would like to hear about you getting a great check. I'm all for people making their money. And more good news. On Monday, after a weekend of national mourning over Chadwick Boseman, Niecy Nash hit us with some excellent news. That she had gotten married. She married Jessica Betts. Jessica is a singer. Jessica, just for clarity, is a woman. You hadn't picked up on that. Nisi, I believe, has been married three times previously, twice to the same man. And then there was another man, her ex-husband. The divorce was finalized earlier this year, but they had separated sometime last year. I have a relative who's been married four times. And... And when her mother learned that she was planning to marry a fourth time, she said, how many times do you intend to get married? And her mother was married to her own husband for 
I want to say a good 60 years until he passed away. But my relative responded and she said, I intend to do it until I get it right. So that fourth husband, she's been with him a good 20 years and they're happy. So if Nisi, this is her fourth marriage, you know, I don't believe in staying if you're miserable. So if it ain't working, go figure out something that works. Don't don't just be sitting around miserable just to say you married. I hope that this fourth time is the charm. Good for her. There's been a lot of confusion about how Nisi met her wife. There was a rumor going around that the wife, Jessica, had sung at Nisi's wedding to her previous husband back in 2011. And so people were like, well, was Nisi creeping with this woman all this time? They're there. Oh, social media can be so messy sometimes. So it seems that Nisi was on a show called Claws, right? Jessica was also on the show. Jessica performed as a singer at Nisi's TV wedding to Nisi's TV husband. Real life wedding, Jessica was not there. TV wedding, Jessica was there. So there's this video circulating of Jessica serenading Nisi in what looks like the bridal suite. And so people are like, see, see, she was at the wedding. That was the TV wedding, y'all. That wasn't the actual real life wedding to the real life husband. And if you go back and look, you'll see that there's two entirely different dresses. And Nisi, because I mean, this is not a secret. Nisi got some work done on her shape. It's beautiful work. If Nisi were to share the doctor, I'd roll up quick because the work was good. That doctor did excellent work. Nisi looks fucking amazing. But if you look at her shape in her real life marriage and fast forward to maybe like six, seven years, the shape for the marriage on the show, that's two different bodies, two different bodies, two different dresses. Jessica ain't have nothing to do with that 2011 wedding, y'all. I'm not saying there wasn't no overlap. I don't know. But I'm just saying Jessica was not at Nisi's real life wedding to the real life husband. She was at the TV wedding, y'all. But Jessica's a nice looking woman. She got energy. Because I saw and I was like, oh, pretty teeth, nice stature. I went and looked on Jessica's page and I was like, well, oh, she went and got a good looking woman. Not mad at Nisi. I heard some folks say, like, well, women just get so sick of men and they just they just go be with women. And I was like, that's not really how it works, y'all. You can't, like, make yourself, like, be attracted to breast and vagina if you're not. Like, that's a kind of innate thing. Either you really like it or you really don't. I remember telling one of my guy friends, I was like, I think I might be bi. Like, because I really, like, really like the way Amber Rose looks when she walks. And he was like, I mean, well, what do you want to do to her, like, when you see her walk? And I was like, nothing. I don't want to do anything. I just like watching her walk. And he was like, yeah, you're straight. Because <laughs> when I see Amber Rose walk, I'm not thinking about watching her walk. I'm like, oh, okay. But congratulations to Nisi and Jessica. They look wonderfully happy. And so I hope they remain that way forever. We do have a guest this week and I'll introduce her in one second. But I wanted to talk about Jacob Blake. I made a point to talk about him in detail last week. I wanted to acknowledge another police shooting. But I haven't said much about Jacob Blake since then because the New York Post came out with a story about Jacob Blake's past. I was really wrestling with my stance because I was very outspoken. Like the police shot him seven times in the back in front of his kids. And this is terrible. and This is horrible. And then when I learned the new information about the warrant for his arrest, I, I really had to wrestle with, is this the type of person that I want to publicly support? 
And so I had to to roll it around in my head. And then I started getting called out about it. Like people were like, well, you know, you talk about everything else, but you're not talking about this. And I was like, can I have a moment to 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 feel my way through this real quick? Jacob Blake had a warrant for sexual assault. Initially, there was a rumor circulating that he had assaulted a 14 or 15 year old girl. That is not accurate. The woman he was accused of assaulting is the mother of those three boys who were in the back seat of that car. The New York Post ran a story, and the New York Post is, is no fan of black folks in general. They ran a story. This is why Jacob Blake had a warrant out for his arrest. He's accused of breaking into the home of the mother of the children and sexually assaulting her. She told the cops that he used his finger to sexually assault her. He sniffed it and said, it smells like you've been with other men. This is what she told the police. She was asleep in her bed with one of her children when Blake broke into her house and came in the room around 6 a.m. The officer who took her statement said she had a very difficult time telling him this and cried as she told how the defendant assaulted her. She told police that she was upset, but she collected herself. And then allegedly she ran out the front door after Blake. She then realized her car was missing. She checked her purse and saw the keys were missing and immediately called 911. She told the cops that she has known Blake for eight years and that he physically assaults her, quote, around twice a year when he drinks heavily. On Sunday, Within three minutes of responding to the 911 call, Blake was shot seven times in the back as he attempted to get into his SUV. So I had to roll around how I I thought about that because if these are the facts, then yes, absolutely, Blake should be arrested by police and he should be jailed because that is some sick, skeevy, terrifying shit that this woman is alleging that he did to her. Before I give you the final conclusion that I came to on Blake with this new information, I want to be clear that I hate rapists and I hate anyone who commits violent and terrifying acts against women, period. No but, no however, period. And I also, as in addition to, say that I don't think Blake should have been shot seven times by police in the back or anywhere else. And certainly not in front of his children. Police can't be judge and jury. Your job is to show up and arrest the person, take him to the precinct, book him, hold him. Fine. You can't just shoot a man seven times in the back over an accusation. I mean, you can because they did, but it's not the right thing to do. Like, arrest him. There's two police officers. Why can't y'all just arrest this man? You don't have to shoot him. I will argue all day up and down that the police had no business shooting Blake. However, if the story was... The woman that he allegedly assaulted, he just got finished breaking in her house and fingering her with her child in the bed, no less. By the way, how'd the kids get in the car? Was he trying to take the kids? I just thought about that. The three kids were in the car. One of them was in the bed with the mom. How'd those kids end up in the car? Um, If this woman who he just assaulted had a gun and she shot the man seven times in the back in front of the kids, all I'd have for him is a whelp. You shouldn't have assaulted her. Shouldn't have broken her damn house. Shouldn't have been trying to finger fuck her. Actions have consequences. That's all I'd have for him. I'd be like, what's her GoFundMe? Does she have a lawyer? I would like to donate something. I'd like to put five on it. Make sure that woman has a healthy defense and a good lawyer. 
I'm just saying. So this week, as I mentioned, we have a treat. She is one of my favorite humans. I've known Michaela Angela Davis so long that I cannot remember how we initially met. I just know that we met in New York and I can't remember not knowing her for the whole time I've been there. She's been a mentor and also a friend. But in addition to that, she is many, many. The short version is she is a writer on African-American style, race, gender, and hip-hop culture. And she is also a fashion expert and image activist. She's also the author of an upcoming book written in conjunction with Mariah Carey called The Meaning of Mariah. It's currently on sale and pre-orders are available. And she talks about it a little bit in our dialogue. She's also the founder of Hair Tales, which she talks about as well when we speak. In general, it's she creates a space for black women to talk about their hair. As every black woman knows, when you talk about hair, you end up talking about so many other things. Black hair is political. So it opens up the dialogue for, for many conversations. I caught one of them with actually two men at Essence Festival a couple years ago. One of them was um, Jeff Johnson. And he was talking about, I don't know how they got to this conversation from hair, but he was talking about how as a man, he was never taught how to be friends with a woman. He was like, I would meet an attractive woman. I would meet a dope woman. And this is obviously before he was married, but he was like, I would meet like these amazing women. And he was like, my only context for them is that I need to date her or have sex with her. He's like, I didn't know how to be friends. And he was like, I think about all the business connections, all the friendships, all of the healthy relationships and conversations that I missed out on by not seeing women essentially as people and equals, but as seeing them as something to be possessed or something to be conquered. Again, this came out of a conversation about hair. This is where they landed. So really fascinating conversations. If you ever get a chance to, when the world reopens, to attend a Hair Tales conversation, um, put that high on your list of things to do. But I reached out to Michaela because there was a vigorous conversation happening online about Tracy Ellis Ross on the cover of Elle magazine. She has on a flowing yellow dress. There's a blue background and she has her hair kind of like if you think of an image of a piccaninny, the stereotypical image from like the minstrel shows from Uncle Tom's Cabin. If you think of that image, that's kind of how her hair is styled. It's also a hairstyle that originated in the Congo. This is more than likely one of those occasions where white folks saw something black folks was doing while they were minding their business. And they decided to turn something positive and normal into something ugly and negative. So when we see the styling of Tracy's hair on the cover of Elle, we see Piccaninny, we see Minstrel Show before we see Africa. So the conversation started out about hair and it quickly took a negative turn about whether Tracy Ellis Ross as a biracial woman is the right person to represent black women, to talk about black hair. Many black women don't have her hair texture. Many black women do, but I don't. We talked about uh, colorism. We talked about how light-skinned women and biracial women are the face of black beauty and like where are all the brown and the dark-skinned girls. We talked about colorism. We talked about texturism. We talked about a lot of things that all came from a conversation of talking about hair. These conversations drive me up a wall because sometimes I just want to talk about the hair. But talking about black women in hair never stays there. And this is Michaela's lane. This is the lane that she's worked in forever and a day. So I called her up and said, hey, would you come on Ratchet and Respectable and, and talk to us about black women and hair? And so she said, sure. 
Chava's like, thank you. So let's get into it. Let's talk to Michaela about hair and everything else. Hey, Mama. Hey, Michaela. How are you? You know, all things considered, and there are so many things to consider, mm-hmm. um, I feel I'm grateful today. Good. Good. How are you? I'm, I'm good. I'm back in D.C. I just need a little more space. California, and it's like half open, half not. Things opening and closing on a whim. Like, I just, I couldn't do it anymore. So I came back because I needed space and peace. And my mama, so, you know. And your mama. Yeah. What was traveling like? Were you were you nervous? I'm just about to start kind of contemplating doing a little trip to actually to L.A. Wait, where are you now? I thought you were in L.A. No, I'm in transition. So I came to Sedona. Yes. Where my mother lives, right? To finish the book and just kind of heal. And the plan was, you know, once I finished the book, that I was going to go to LA and settle and then COVID so it doesn't make sense for me to be in LA so I'm just I'm still here I feel like I'm in one of those horror slash comedy movies where like oh this is a beautiful place on vacation but I can't leave yeah listen there are people suffering in this moment and living and, and I'm in this like beautiful little like vacation condo I can't you know it feels weird to complain but it's it's still just like we're there's no, we don't have any reference for what this is. Yeah, and no end in sight. I know. It's hard, man. It is. And so much loss, so much grief, and then not being able to do what we do when we're in grief, whether it's like go to church or, you know, dance together or do, like be together. We can't even do that. That. Yeah. And for black folks, that's how we survived all this shit. Yeah, like you've taken you our know? ritual. All the rituals, like, there was no cookouts, no essence festival, like, none of that, sh- you know, the stuff that fills you up, none of it, none of it happened. I was going to answer your question about travel. I've had to travel a couple times for work. Mm -hmm. When it was work stuff, they flew me out first class, so I had a little more space on the plane. And then when I came Mm -hmm. yesterday, Delta is still the only airline that blocks off the seat next to you. And I kept my mask on the whole time, of course. Oh, gee whiz. You know what? Congratulations on the show. Thank you. And it's proof of life, right? Like, proof of life when seeing, you know, when... When things happen and get done, and I think now more than ever, we need to twirl when things happen. Once things happen again, every invite, the opening of an envelope, I'm there. Listen, just to, you know, see each other and celebrate life, life. Yeah. Just, you know, life. Yeah. Um, I miss yeah. life. Yes. I miss life. <laughs> I miss life. I miss life. I miss life. I miss, according to your podcast... You're still waiting for a date, right? Yes, I'm still waiting for a date for the... um, For the the air date. For the air date, yes. I really want February because I would love for this to be like a Valentine's Day situation. Oh, sure. Um, But we'll see. Whatever they give me, I'm going to be happy with and celebrate some way, somehow. Listen, are you still in edit or... We're still in edit. We just um, wrapped shooting at the end of July. You know, I'm working on this um, project. So we're, you know, having to re-revise and revise um, 
budgets because now the COVID, it's like a COVID unit. They had a whole um, trailer for just the COVID testing. So even when I got there, before I could go on set, I had to go get tested and they shoved that thing like all the way up my nose. I was only on set two days. But if you're a steady person who's there every day, you get that test every other day. Oh, wow. And even still, you, like everyone except the um, the main cast has to walk around with their masks on. It's like creating a bubble. It, it really is. It's a, and it's... You know, my um, I realized the other day I, I was getting some dental surgery. I, I realized, like, I don't know what my doctor looks like. I met him in a mask. He never took off his mask. Like, it was weird. I was talking to my mother. She's like, he's cute, right? And I'm like, I don't, know. I don't know. We're going to be damaged from this, you think? I think part is going to be damaged and part is going to be renewed. It's so interesting talking about damage i was listening to your latest podcast and i'm i really related to you were going like i can't watch this jacob blake footage something to the equivalent like it's taking a bit of your soul every time and i had a similar experience where and it it actually is going to dovetail into talking about here but when um when i was on contract at cnn i came in maybe you know around the obama 2008, that's when they were all looking for all the blacks, right? So I was on pretty regularly, but once Trayvon Martin was murdered and they had this town hall and I did this thing with Anderson Cooper and it, it I became one of the two or three go-to people when there was black catastrophe and death. It was like every couple of weeks, you know, whether it was Eric Gardner, Mike Brown, Sandra Bland, um, you know, all the names, mm-hmm. right? And so by the time we got to Charleston, that terrorist attack, something happened to me. It was at the same time as Rachel Dolezal. And I was having this, like, crazy, like, Tina Fey moment with Rachel Dolezal. Because here she was, like, the split screen of me and her was a whole thing and, like, whatever. And she, she, she angered me in a very ancient place, right? I remember calling my mother the night before because we were supposed to be on together. It was a whole thing, and I was prepping. I'm like, I don't want to be so fucking angry at her. And I was saying, you know, hey, how she kept saying, I own my culture, I own my blackness. And my mother said that she can't own our ancestors, and mm. she doesn't have that. You know, my mother told me the story about how the Klan came to my her grandparents' house, and that's why they fled South Carolina. You know, and that they were terrorized. So that story was very, like, fresh in my memory. I remember on the, on the car ride going to the Bureau, I looked up just the basic description of terrorists and terrorism. And Dylan Roof was textbook. Like, he, he fit all the criteria. In addition to him being a terrorist, he, um, Reverend Pinkney was assassinated. It was a very simple description of I mean, an elected official who was sought out and killed because of his views. That's kind of what an assassination is. And so I wanted to use the right language when talking about Dylan Roof as a terrorist, as an act of terrorism, and that Muslim Pinkney was assassinated. Like, I'm so shook that I didn't even understand how shook I was. Because it happened at night, and and I was supposed to be on the air, like, 7 o'clock in the morning. So I was... I didn't even know how shook I was about the horror of what had happened of him 
being there and praying with them and the historic nature of that church and all of it, right? And so I'm sitting on this panel with um, Chris Cuomo, whatever, and they're talking about this thing and they're calling it a tragedy and a tragedy. And then there's a police officer who was at the scene and he said, there's this moment when you hear phones ringing and bodies vibrating because of people's family. And I blacked out. Like, it was a split second, but I, I left the set. Like, I don't know what happened. I blacked out. I came right back. I didn't, I don't think anybody knew that I did. But the horror was so real, Demetria. And I, you know, when I called Dylan with a terrorist and it started this whole thing at CNN. Like, they held me at the bureau, whatever, this whole thing. And I was, it was, you know, it was when I was working BT too. So I was going, walking back and forth from CNN to BT. And when I got to the first day, the first time I went to BT, and I just saw some black people, I collapsed and just started crying. And I, I was crying in between each take. And I was realizing, like, everyone else is just talking about this terrible news. And I'm breaking down. It wasn't just, like, all the bodies stacked on top of each other over the, you know, course of the couple of years that that was. It was just, like, when, you know, the ancestral trauma and pain was also there. You know, it was Southern, it was in a church, it was this whole thing. I called Quan that day, that night, and I said, Quan, we have to start. I have to do something that's about black life and black girl joy, or I don't know what it, how I'm going to survive. Like, I really felt like something cracked in me. And I didn't, and I'm like, no one's studying what this is doing to our psyche. This is like Emmett Till on a constant loop. Like, we're absorbing these images over and over and over again. Not just not just to witness them, but to, like, look at them so we can analyze them and talk about it and talk about it and talk about it and look at them again and seeing them on every screen on our TV, on our phones. What is this doing? Like, nobody knows. Like, I don't know the damage that it has done to our psyche. I don't know... I don't know. And the only thing I need to do, aside from, you know, going into my spiritual practice for some help, but, like, putting out images about life. And so that's when I really started drilling down and using and doing hair tails because hair tails as a concept have been sitting on my desktop for maybe a couple of years. I've always been obsessed about black hair because of just how it is, how it just connects black girlhood and womanhood in a very particular way. But I just, I loved it like most other people. But um, there was something about after I had this horrific experience and really understanding um, and, and, ha- and having already placed sort of my centering in terms of my professional centering around black women, the hair, um, using hair as a organizing principle to talk about black women's life and identity got more um, real to me. And I started looking at it really kind of like a uh, clinician, you know, like the way that Eve Ensler used the vagina to talk about um, sexual violence with women as a tool. In that same methodology, I 
use hair, continue to use hair to talk about black women's identity and culture. And so these conversations that, are, that were kind of casual before or, you know, parts of conversation. We always talked about hair in larger conversations, but then centering it on hair as, as an organizing principle, as a metaphor for black women's identity got very sharp because of the trauma that we, you know, because of it was just so much death. I'm glad that you brought up hair. And I will be very, very honest with you, like of all the conversations that I have about all different subjects that involve black women, especially hair is probably Mm -hmm. my least favorite. (laughs) There is a reason that I've called you in today to talk about hair because I find and you're laughing that knowing laugh because you know where I'm going with this. Black women's hair is about everything except hair. I've never been involved in any conversation about black women's hair that has not gone somewhat haywire. It becomes yes. texturism, it becomes colorism, it becomes um, professionalism, it becomes class conversations. It's just everything tied up in hair. That's exactly why I talk about it, because it's an on-ramp to talk about us. It's not about hair. Hair is the, hair is the metaphor. Hair is the, again, the f- philosophical foundation. And why hair? Because it's, there are very few cultural things, Demetria, that I feel that are ours, meaning black women. In the way that, and, and I have this internal kind of positioning that black, that hair is our hip-hop, where certainly black women have participated in, in hip-hop and, and helped build it and all of that. The, the currency, the agency, the, the power in the culture in hip-hop is, is very male. And very, and it's globally celebrated and also globally criticized. But it's like this whole big cultural space that that black and brown men generally hold. Hair is the closest to that that I can find that is particular around black women. Meaning it's our creativity, it's our economy, it's our history, it's our hysteria, it's our you know, space, like the salon or the, or the stoop or whatever. These are very particular black women's spaces. And we don't have that much space in the world. So it's like, where, what is this thing that we have that connects us, that, I, that, that is a connective tissue to talk about us? And it, it, that does break class. And, you know, when Oprah talk, Oprah's talking about her hair, so is Shaniqua. I go to Dakar, they're doing hair in a ritualistic way, and you go to Detroit, they are too. So it's not about, the hair is just holding us together uh, to talk about us. So yes, all of it comes out. It's all in our hair. The latest way it's come out, and latest as in like last week, Tracy Ellis Ross is on the cover of the September 2020 L magazine. The tagline is The State of Black Hair. And she is in conversation with Kerry Washington. And I thought they had a a very thoughtful conversation about black women and hair. A lot of people were very angry about the cover. They didn't like Tracy's hair, kind of like braided up into, what's the girl's name from Uncle Tom's Cabin? Topsy? Is it Topsy? Yes. Okay, boom. I haven't read that book in years. I think everybody, I think everybody, like that's, 
That's the image that it evokes. Yes. Certainly. Um, and it's like I saw it, I, I kind of got the imagery and I was like, well, you know, okay, like, you know, not my favorite thing, but it's Tracy and it's fine. And what are Tracy and Carrie going to talk about? Other people saw it and was just pissed and was like, why is this horrible hair on the cover of Elle magazine? What has Elle magazine done? Mm-hmm. What did you think when you saw the cover? I saw the inside images first, as a matter of fact, because Instagram is so different our lives now. It's not like a, a newsstand. It's Instagram that, and that you know, breaks news. So I saw the Im- inside images first, and I was like, oh, this hair is amazing, because, you know, they had, especially there was one where she was turned to the back, and it had great big braids and a couple of cornrows, and lots. it had lots of, you know, energy and texture in one hairstyle. Loved it. Love the fashion, love the lighting, you know, and full disclosure, you know, I was a former fashion beauty editor and also very, very close to Tracy. Like, we're friends bordering on family for, like, 25 years. You know, she introduced me to her mom, the whole thing. So, so... I remember that story. That was hilarious because you didn't know. You got Tracy Ellis Ross, but never in a million years did you think, like, your mother, the Diana. I, that, that's a whole other tangent about... I didn't really know who Tracy was. Um, I, I was a guest editor at Mirabella magazine, which is gone, but Mirabella was this fabulous magazine. And Tracy was working in the fashion closet. And I just thought she was this really cool girl with this really cool style. And it was very, very white world, the fashion industry, particularly. So I didn't even know who she was. I just knew that there was a cool girl in the fashion closet. She was black, and I was going, we were going to be good. And she she told me, that, oh, I have my mom is looking for someone like you, because I was doing this shoot, and I had all these outrageous clothes, because it was with Seal and Bjork. It was very extra. Lots of couture. And so she, um, and I thought, oh, she's socialite, because that's a lot of fashion girls, you know, because they don't pay in fashion. So fashion tended to have a lot of, you know, women from money and young women who were socialites, whatever. So I'm like, oh, she's a socialite. I didn't know who her mother was. And I arrived at her mother's house. The elevator door is open, and Diana Ross is in the middle of the floor. And I die. I die. I die. Because I would say mahogany probably changed my life. And because, and a lot of it had to do with the hair. The hair, the hair was always an entry point for me to meet you because it was a flashpoint in my life. I was a little, super light-skinned black girl with blonde hair. And my hair was big and thick. And I, I don't, I like the word kinky. I use the word kinky and nappy all the time. I always have. They don't, it doesn't bother me. And perhaps, you know, pushing through those two lenses that I said, super light-skinned and blonde, Maybe that's why it don't bother me, or that whatever. But I had this blonde, thick, thick, dense hair, and so people talked about it as a thing in in just my orientation in the world. So when I look at a lot of things, particularly black things like Soul Train, like mahogany, the hair and the fashion are, are my are my lens in which I enter a space, right? And so. Miss Ross meant so much because I was, I knew I loved fashion, but I didn't see how we, how we fit in there. And Mahogany showed me how we fit. We, we make ourselves fit, right? So anyway, so I, I 
fell on the floor, had a moment, <laughs> and then started working with her um, for a couple of years on and off. So, so that's how Tracy and I met. Again, uh, Tracy was working in a fashion closet. So there, there is a real authenticity and legitimacy and connectedness to fashion and beauty and art that she authentically has. It's not just that she's a celebrity that's on red carpets. She's connected into the industry in a very particular way, right? And so all of that, I think, is important context for how we move forward in talking about this. The, and I'm, and I'm, I have seen so many different images of Tracy and Tracy's hair, for you know, so, as we all have, um, from, you know, girlfriends to all the fashion magazines to the cover of Essence to her beauty line, like, we have seen a lot of Tracy Ellis Ross hair. So, and, and expressions in it and and her um, journey through it. We've been, we've been with her through her hair for at least a decade. So there's that. So we have some, so it's interesting. So by the time we got to the L cover, I didn't know that it was triggering until... I got that text from you. The honest thing is, I didn't really pay that much to the cover because I was really into the inside images. So then when you send me that text, I'm like, let me look at this, let me look at this again and see. I, I, I wasn't triggered, but I saw the reference and I thought, oh, but, or is it just, because um, one of the ways I describe Afros is that it's like, it defies gravity, right? Like black hair is the only hair that goes up and out. And I'm like, so when I first saw it, like I did, like again, I didn't rest. I didn't pay a lot of attention to it, and I also didn't even pay attention to that um, headline, which 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 changes the context a little bit, right? So um, when so I thought, oh, okay, it's like you know, gravity gravity defying, da, 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 da. and then I looked at it. It's like, oh, this is gonna this is gonna bring up some you know, picking any pain. And it did. Part of that picking up pain is a really deep, you know, a kind of a conversation that I feel that I know that I've had lots of times. Like you said, when we talk about hair, all kinds of things come up. And particularly when you have an image or an idea that gets at a very particular pain, it is worth talking about. And we must talk about it. And then there's also this idea of art and culture and imagery and provocateur uh, possibilities, particularly in the fashion space. And how much room do we give black people and black editors to do that? For instance, if you look at Franca, who was the editor in chief of you know Italian Vogue, who led the fashion world in provocative images for 25 years. Like, what were all the images that they got to play with and have co- and have big cultural conversations around war, around domestic violence, around, you know, uh, uh, plastic surgery? Every other month, there was some big conversation about Italian Vogue putting images that were, you know, dangerous and violent, but they, but they caused people to talk about social and cultural issues. Do we give black fashion moments that space too? There's a so there's a lot of like like 
areas in which this image is, image can give us um, room to com- to have a conversation. Here's what here's what I'm not sure about because, as you noted, there was a black um, beauty editor, right? There were a lot of black women participating in creating that image. If it were not, this would be a whole other. This would be a whole other thing, and probably Tracy would not have done it. I don't even know whether a white editor, which we almost always had, is it's almost always a white gaze or someone a white gatekeeper when black women are on the cover of these kinds of magazines. So the fact that this is a this is a black girl squad um, deciding to put that image and create that image also gives us a, a very different context. But it's still L, which ain't ours. So there's, so it's, you know, there's, um, there's, and this is why I love talking about black women and, and identity and issues and cultures through the lens of hair because there's just so many layers. And we know, we know that Tracy loves her hair and loves her blackness. There's no, I don't feel like there's any ambiguity around that. She ain't just discovered herself. Because that would be a whole other you know, set of things for us to talk about. Because a lot of people are just getting black. There's a whole lot of very new sister soldiers out there. But when it comes to hair and Tracy Ellis Ross, she's not. How many images has has she created? Thousands upon thousands. So, so all those, all those um, issues are on the table. However, no, in addition, in reading those comments on your Facebook page, what 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 I always feel like in like my job to do is try to listen to what is the yearning underneath that comment. Like, what is? I mean, it's some and it was very articulate. What the pain is? Like, I don't I don't want to see this. I don't want to feel this. I don't want to. I don't think this person has the authority to to. to to pick at that pain, um, and that's very real and valid too. And you know, Trace and I talk a lot about also completely understanding our proximity to whiteness puts us in spaces and creates shelter in ways that we know that other people don't have. So there's no there's no delusion around that. Um, but this is the skin and the space you were given. And so how much, and the hair that you were given. So how much help can you be using what you were given? Um, and those are, they're, they're complicated conversations. And sometimes, sometimes we just got to sit in the pain, in the pain and, and hear it and understand it. But does that stop you from creating images? One of the common threads on the post, I would say, was women who were saying that the conversation about black hair has been dominated by light-skinned women, biracial women. Mm-hmm. And it's not something I always think about because, again, like, I mean, mm-hmm. I'm not but so brown, but I'm not but so light either. Like, I'm yes. kind of, like, in that middle space. So I can kind of, like, walk around with blinders on about some things. But it's something that I've heard over and over I think it's a valid concern. There's been much progress with women who are, you know, of, of deeper hues on the cover of magazines and mm-hmm. women who have um, kinky or coil, nappy. I use it in the same way you do with mm-hmm. affirmation and love. But yes. there needs to be more in the space. Mm-hmm. So if you are a woman like Tracy, 
or other women who are, you know, light skinned and have the proximity to whiteness that you point out, mm-hmm. what do you do? Do you turn down roles? Do you turn down opportunities to pass them to someone else? Like what's the what's the answer here to getting more representation of a little bit of everybody? Such a real question. I was gonna say it was loaded, but it's just very real. It's almost like it's almost reminiscent to even talking about activism. You know, there was a moment, you know, in the late sixties and early seventies going, you know, why why is it Angela Davis and Kathleen Cleaver and um, you know, Nikki Giovanni, like all these light skinned women or Malcolm, like so and part of it and I you know, this is obviously something that I also unpack all the time is it because your proximity to whiteness gives you this feeling of safety and shelter so you say you say some shit that you know someone else who is darker or or, you know black from a distance um is in a much more precarious position to say so do you try to bring voice because they let you in the room because they're not scared of you because you're not that big angry black girl because that's to me, how I felt, I felt like I was a, a smuggler of culture into CNN. Because I knew that I could sit there with my afro because it was blonde and because I was light-skinned. I knew that. You know, and, and here's the thing, and this is real. If I said no, oh no, I don't want to be uh, um, in this unit, in Anderson Cooper's unit, I should, it should be given to um, another sister who is darker and more black identified. That doesn't happen. I can't switch. I couldn't have put Joanne Reed in my space or the equivalent of her. I don't have that power, right? It is the, you know, the head of talent, whomever. And it's almost like, you know, going back to original pain on the playground, meaning that cute boy likes you because you're light-skinned and you have long hair. You turn him down, that doesn't mean he's going to turn to your best friend who's dark-skinned. We don't have that much power to shift the space for someone else. And this is just me. Me personally, I try to do as much as I can with the door, with the spaces that I'm allowed in. And when I'm allowed, how many people can I bring with me once, once I get in? Turning down roles, turning down women, and particularly, you're still a woman of color, you're still black. Just because, you you know, if you're light-skinned, it makes you perhaps closer, but you still are not white. So that doesn't give you white power. Like, I'm going to step off for this role because I'm going to bring in someone else. It doesn't work like that. You're still a woman and you're still black. So if you're in there, how much can you do in that space to make room for other people? And so this the notion of conversation leading conversations about black hair and be and being you know as light i'm even lighter than tracy my hair isn't lighter meaning in terms of texture i have i have several textures going on in my hair at the same time same um but most of us do right what you hope for and i believe this to be true tracy now i'm not just saying it's because my friend she's my friend but i feel like the conversations that i'm coming from around black hair I've been doing for for years and authentically have done work and scholarship and field study. And, you know, like I'm not, I feel like there's, it's rooted in, um, in work. And I believe 
that with Tracy, because I remember the same, her talking about her hairline about 10 years ago. Like, even, not just talking about it, but actually starting work around it. The, here's my, here's what I hope to do, to be able to do is create more spaces for women who want to talk about it that are more diverse and more represent, more representative um, to the table that I'm trying to build. Because here's where, where women of diversity do lead they, as creators and culturalists. If you go on Instagram and you see who's actually doing the hair and making the hair into these works of art and beautiful, and it's, it's black women, like, full spectrum. So that so the creators of the culture are representative. It's like how do we how do we make more of them elevated into a space of having authority, right? Because they're actually making the work, they're creating the trends. Like how does all that energy and power and creativity that we see on Instagram translate into being centered as a voice to talk about this? Because I feel the power as a practitioner is really, really, really um, significant because you are literally in black women's heads. The actual workers in black hair need to be more centered. How that happens, I'm, I'm working through that right now. Right now. I'm trying to work through that. Yeah. When I was listening to you and also when I was reading... Um, the threads on many of my different social media platforms, even though some, what's the word I want to use, vitriol really was directed toward Tracy. I think what the real problem is, is the lack of spaces. We're, we're still existing in a slightly better version if there's only room for one. So if it's like, mm-hmm. well, if a Tracy gets it, then there's no room for a Lupita and there's no room for a Viola or there's no room for a Regina mm-hmm. King or a Taraji. Because mm-hmm. it was like, well, why do Tracy and not Taraji? And it's like, because we don't have enough spaces right now. That's really what it boils down to. So I definitely feel people, if they had more spaces, I mean, as much as I love Essence, if there could be another version of Essence, like we can have more than one black girl's magazine you know at a time. It should have been. It should have been. I'm old enough to know, you know, that after Essence, there was Suede, you know, and Honey, which you know is the... Yeah. Like honey was the love of my life. Honey's when I changed my major from English to journalism. Seen the Lauren Hill cover on, um, I got it on Howard's Yard. Yeah. Well, that just made me tear up. You know, and to this day, Karen's my girl. We talk about, we still talk about, this, like, creating more space and, and the pain that we have felt in watching the spaces disintegrate. And, and disintegrate, and not because the black women weren't there supporting them. Because Honey was... Let me get this term right. It was the fastest growing women's magazine in America. I didn't say black. I said women's magazine. Yeah. Towing the line for a bunch of other properties that weren't centered on black women. We were literally paying for the the failing business, right? It wasn't because the market wasn't there. It's because we weren't treated right. The business wasn't there. The black women as a market are strong. They, they're so deserving. They will come. They are loyal. They are the best market. And it, it boggles. Like, we, we have very long conversations about why can't the business, why can't they get us right? 
Why can't they do what's right? There's no reason in 2020 we should be stressing because we have less. We have less. There there is no right on. There is no honey. There is no sweet. We have less. Thank God for Instagram. Like, thank God for individuals putting out images and we can curate. We can look at, like, vintage black glamour. Like, there's all these places I go to see us. But there, there still is that thing. And I'm trying to work through this because I think this is something I need to let go. There still is that thing, particularly when you, when you loved magazines and fashion, which I did and do. That I just feel like, I'm, like we never got to have the Italian Vogue moment. You know, there was Trace. Like, I lived for Trace, Trace right? Trace, yeah. And, and, and that, that um, Black Girls Rule issue was an event like they would have this fabulous party it was in new york and all the top black models at the fan everybody was there it was like it was a moment and then it was over there's a part of me that stays frustrated and i hope it animates me it keeps me energized that that you know because Elle is of course Elle is going to Elle is going to have someone like tracy for a couple of reasons. And one of them is, that was a fashion magazine first, right? And and Tracy's participation in the fashion world, going full circle to our conversation, is very long and rich and real. Plus, she has a hairline. So those things, plus she's Tracy Ellis Ross. You know, she was a model. There's all these things. So all those things make her the reason why you put her on a cover right, than, say, a Taraji or, you know, Gabrielle has a new hairline, too. Mm, you know? that, yeah. <laughs> and so, they and, and, it's, and it's beautiful and glowy, and, you know, Gabrielle has her own fashion line, too, with New York. Um, it still is the establishment of fashion, and fashion as it's been organized and understood that did that that is still forcing itself to grapple with black beauty they never plan for us they don't sometimes i think it's i think it's a pain in their ass that they that they have to deal with us what was it about this month because glamour did as a whole having a whole black hair moment too i'm like what what happened Oh, I've counted 16. Did Brianna Taylor, like, just make oh. y'all? Oh, yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, what, what happened? What, you counted 16 what? 16 covers with black people on them for the September issues alone. See, like, do we have to die? Do we have to burn shit down? Because I also think that has to do with it. Because they were fine with us dying. We started burning shit down. They were like, Let me, let's address these people because now they're pissed. Because Fanny Blue Hamer told y'all. Yeah. Ben told us. We're going to tear yours down. She told y'all, we will tear it down. Yeah, that's so, happening. Yeah. So, okay, so now we have a September moment. You know, and the, and, and here's where we come in. It's like to make sure, because one of the, like I said, I feel like I need to go to therapy to stop feeling jealous or envious or wanting to be, you know, Anna or Franca or any of those girls, right? Because that moment's over. It's yeah. over for them, it's over for me, it's over, right? Um, 
because that was just such a desire of like one day we get to because remember when that black issue of Italian Vogue came out yes everybody was clamoring for it yes I still have it thousands of right but listen to what I just said the black issue issue that we still like are dying for like I just wanted to not need to go to the those pillars and ask for permission and, and, and come there with my little beggar's cup and go, can we have a, can we have a moment, please, every 10 years? Yeah. You know, fuck that. And that's what it feels like. It's like, oh, they picked, they picked one of us, but you still feel left out, just like you're on the, just like on the playground. They picked a cute girl. Cute through a lens that we still didn't even build. We're sitting there going, oh, they picked that girl again. It's, it's everything from, it's L, it's, 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 music videos it's movies it's the playground you know it's who the girl that they pick and it's like we need to be the they more black women need to be in the space of being who's picking who black women are generous we think about each other that's what that cover and all those comments on your socials represent They're, they're still thinking about who's not in the room we think about that in a very um, innate way. And so if more of us are in more places, more of us will be in more places. That is so simple and so profound. And, and that's why when you create spaces and you, you tell stories, that's why, you know, you're getting this television thing is no little deal. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. Our, we are our stories. We are our images. We have a great opportunity in this moment, I think, to mention, because it's like black music has had a hundred years, right, of uh, uh, at least of creating a framework of culture and excellence and beauty and brilliance and genius that the whole world recognizes. Black literature, also, we have giants. You know, from Toni Morrison to, to James Baldwin, we have giants, all these new, amazing black novelists and thinkers. And, you know, we have this, I mean, you look at the New York Times bestseller list and 13 out of 15 are black authors. So in terms of black music and black narrative, we have a real sort of stronghold in, in knowing that we have a place and knowing that we have influenced culture knowing that we are respected and there's 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 kind of a framework a cultural framework but when it comes to beauty and moving images and cinema and aesthetics there's lots of opportunity to create more and our roots aren't as 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 deep as they are in music and literature as they are in image we have a real opportunity to create a legacy. What is the black woman's aesthetic? What is that? What do we look like? What do we dream about? What do our images look like? We're developing that as we speak. And so if you're a black woman creator that's creating not just narrative, but narrative that has images that go with it, it's a big deal. It's a, it's a frontier. And, and like music, there was a t- I remember back at Honey, there was a time we were doing a cover, and I was like, oh, I, can't, I don't 
I don't want someone with like a blonde tint or blonde hair at this moment. And we were hard pressed. It was just at that time when everybody was doing like a blonde, having a blonde moment, Mary, everybody. And it was just like, you know, it was just, it was just funny. It was like, oh, look at this. Look what's happening here. Um, It's like a lot of industries, whether it's Hollywood or music, there's generally a type of blackness that gets in the door first. And I, I think this moment, this generation, we get, we get to swing it open wider. I hope, I hope that's what we do. Like Lena and people are swinging the door open and bringing bunches of people with us. You know, Lena, Ava, Regina, you know, I'm just hoping once we get in there, we just keep bringing more of us in. You know how you like you run for the subway in New York and you're late and somebody's like, hold the door, hold the door. I feel like that's where we, we're trying to be in Black Hollywood. Like, if you get in, just hold the door. Let as many people... Exactly. Let everybody run down the steps and get in. Hold the door. That's really what it feels like. But that's really... But we do that. We don't wash it closed and just pull up. At least we try. At least we throw our bag in there. We do. We Sometimes we do throw our body on the line. Sometimes we do. And we shouldn't have to. That's, I mean, again, back to your other podcast, talking about Megan. Like, I, that whole Megan moment had me, like, I was in my feelings for real about it. Yeah. Like, what are we even doing out here? Like, we, give, we literally will give our life, and y'all can't give us a moment. Like, what? Where is everybody? Like, where is everybody around Megan? Like, where are these dudes? Nowhere to be found. Like, where are they? You look at the cover of Abby, the, the makers of the Black mm-hmm. Lives Matter movement. Three black women. Mm-hmm. You see Tamika Mallory, like... like She's been arrested so many times. We got one of your favorite rappers shot. Ain't nobody on the front line. Like, nobody saying anything. All that power, all that money... All that influence. Nope. That's why, you know, and this is no shade on, uh, on you know, men, black men, men in hip-hop. But that's why I trust black women. If that was, if that was... Any other male rapper, it would have been... Any other male rapper, there would be... I mean, it would have been a free meek moment. I don't remember a pray for Meg, a save Meg, a help Meg, a, or even like a fuck Tory Lanez. I mean, even if you're not going right. to run to Meg, like no no animosity towards him either. It's just, well, she wanted to have a hot girl summer. So, like, really? I know. Really? I mean, I didn't even really know what to say. There's different feelings that you have once you're not like, I'm going to say not part of the culture, but it's kind of like an auntie moment. Like, so you have this other kind of feeling when you are looking at our trajectory in a very particular way and things like that make you feel like we it makes you feel like we've slipped back or that we've made no progress you know when you've been challenging and particularly in hip-hop like that's really where my activism started is really talking about how women were treated in hip-hop like it's like where your family just fucks with you over and over like they don't they just let you hang as black women and then you do all this stuff and you are the best you have this 
huge record. A huge. You know, hip hop has haven't had a record like that in a long time. Even then, you can't protect. Like you can't even say anything. There's a lot of um, pain and unhealed trauma, and we're gonna we're gonna probably have to heal ourselves and make sure. And that's and that's kind of what this these kind of conversations can do. And particularly, just saying to those to all those women and all those comments that we hear you and we see you. We hear you. This is the step we know we can take now. We can say, these voices are out here. This is what they're feeling. And using the megaphone that we have to, to make, to illuminate that. There's more steps, right? To how to actually bring those voices in. Like, their actual voices. <laughs> is, you know, is the work that we have ahead, it's so complicated. It is. But so necessary. Like, this is it worthy is. work to be figured out. It is. It is. We are complicated. We are worthy. worthy. Yes. Of, of all the time and thought and scholarship and, you know, and courage and risk-taking. Because that was, I mean, back to this idea of, like, who gets to put out what images, right? So one of the things around, you know, the whole Italian Vogue moment is that that's what, you know, that's what that, that the Franca was. She's, she's a risk-taker. She's a provocateur. She puts out images that make people talk. Is it art? Is it, you know, and it, and I, I'm, I'm saying this, I'm being sarcastic because I'm still, you know, it's still something I felt like as black editors and black thought leaders and black, you know, cultural leaders never got a chance to do that. In this moment, Elle is like an Italian Vogue moment where they have that plastic surgery issue or, or more, more the domestic violence issue, which was so controversial. Like how dare you use fashion to talk about domestic violence? I remember vividly this model with red hair on the steps and she looked like she had been pushed down the steps. She had this beautiful red like suit and her hair was red and it was in a pool of blood. And it's just like, ooh. This editor was like, fashion sits in between culture and art and politics and art. So why can't I use my pages to talk about it? And that's valid. I don't even know whether this is behind me. Maybe I'm putting all my editor drama on it. Was that Im image created to do just that? Can we talk about this? Just because it's painful don't mean it, need it doesn't need to come back up. Have we ever had justice for Tati? Can we talk about her? I don't know if that was the motivation. But it's an interesting conversation. conversation. You know, It has sparked much conversation, if that was the intent. Mm -hmm. Then it did that. Here we are. Here we are. Here we are. And I'm glad we are because I want to talk about us all in all our complications. And like you said, hair is prob is is a way in. It's an on ramp. There's a flashpoint. It locates us to Africa. It connects us to each other. It reminds us of pain. It reminds us of glory. It's got it's all the things. Hmm? It's still one of my you know a difficult conversation for me every time, but. I keep having it because clearly there are some issues. Clearly. Clearly. Thank you so much, Michaela. I really appreciate your insight, especially, but also your time.
Yeah, of course. And thank you for thank you for giving us some space to talk about it. Lord knows we there's more and more and more. But this is how we, this is how we get this is how we heal. This is how we get better, and at least know each other more. There's a lot of love, and there's also a lot of pain that connects sisters, you know. And we need to be connected more and acknowledge each other's pain and what and also sometimes what we just trigger triggering each other. Just our physicality triggers stuff, and we can't un. What's the thing when you do, when you diffuse it? We can't go in and undo those wires that have been that history wired up in us why we should not like this person or why we should distrust this person because of our hair or skin and we can't we can't undo those wires until we talk about it because we've been wired up to compare and to distrust each other if you and i snipped one wire tonight or today whatever um it's worth it indeed all right, Mama. I would, oh, when does your book come out? Your Mariah Carey book. I've been waiting on this thing. Oh, September 29th. Of this year? Like, that, like mm-hmm. this. Oh, my God. I'm so excited. It's coming. It's coming. And I'm it's been coming. Scary. It's been coming. I've known about the writing of it. So I'm like, I'm waiting. I'm waiting. I didn't know it was this. Com- okay. I'm excited. It's coming, coming. We're both very, very proud of it. Talk about complicated. Oh, my goodness. Have, me, have us back. Like, let me see if I can get, you know... Because this, there's so many very, 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 very relevant issues in this book. It's all about identity, race, ambition, gender, survival, and faith. Mariah Carey comes with all of those things. That's why I've always loved her. That and um, she can oh, sing her face you're, off. You're going to love her so much more. I and you it. understand like where she came from and where those, where those lyrics come from. Because there's a lot of music in there. Because we're telling you the stories behind the music. I love it. And she's been telling she's been telling everybody. There's a lot of for a while. If you you know what her lambs know, and don't arrest oh, her. Her fans. I ain't never met no fans like that in my life. <laughs> they're they're incredible. There's just a whole other level of fandom. But I can't wait for you to read it. I'd love to for um, I'd love to you know get your insight on it and have a conversation with you about it because it's it, it's got all the things in there okay are pre-orders available now yep okay i'll let people know all right darling all right thank you again thank you appreciate you okay you too bye-bye Bye. i love michaela i love her that conversation about hair went in 50 million other directions which i knew that it would i didn't know where it was going because hair especially black hair Goes a little bit of everywhere. So, yeah, we, we went where we went. I would also like to note, I totally forgot that Gabrielle had her own hair care line. A genius editor, and we were talking about Kierna, who founded Honey. And also, remember like nine years ago or so, everyone had started reading Ebony Magazine all of a sudden? It's because Kierna was over the magazine. Genius editor, got a vision like nobody's business. But Kierna... But Kierna would have had Taraji and Gabrielle and Tracy at least in conversation about black hair. Three famous black women actresses with their own hair care lines and all with different textured hair in conversation about hair would have been an amazing conversation. So for the people who are still working in magazines, because my days in magazines exist no more, something for you to think about. I just gave you all a free idea. Run with that, please. Essence, are are you listening? Run with that. Thanks. 
And also, like Michaela said, like she calls Kierna and they talk about they should do something. I call or text Kierna every six months and be like, hey, so, you know, what are you doing? What are you working on? Are you thinking about going back to another magazine? Because I would come out of hiatus to work for you. Just just FYI. If you decide to start something new, you decide you want to do like a, a reiteration of honey, but call it something else. Like just FYI, I would I would come work for you. Kierna, if you're listening, I would I would come work for you. I would find time between signing and shipping books and working on ratchet and respectable logos and don't waste your pretty logos. And executive producing films. I would find time for you, Kierna. Hope you're listening. Also, we talked about Michaela's book, The Meaning of Mariah, that comes out, did she say September 29th? But that book comes out soon, so you can pre-order. I'm positive that book is going to hit the New York Times bestsellers list. So pre-order in advance so you can get your book on the day that it comes out and start reading before people give you all the spoilers or the book is sold out. Last but certainly not least, y'all got mad at me last week. I mentioned I was selling signed copies of Don't Waste Your Pretty on my website. And by the time the podcast had come out, they were sold out. I sold a whole lot of books, y'all. Like a whole lot of books. There are more copies available now. They're not getting shipped till the end of the month. I got to get through these first series of shipments. I'm sending them out in the order that the orders came in. If you would like to have a signed copy of Don't Waste Your Pretty, they are available on my website, DemetriaLucas.com. There are books available. I don't know how long they will be available. I will try to keep the numbers in stock. Just please be mindful. They ain't going out till the end of the month. So DemetriaLucas.com. That's how you get a book. So now I think that's everything. We've covered everything. Thank you, as always, for listening. If you need some ratchet and respectable in your life before next week's episode, please follow me on social media at Demetria L. Lucas on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. If you enjoyed this episode, you liked what you heard, please subscribe to Ratchet and Respectable on whatever platform you're listening to this podcast. You will be the first to know when there's new episodes, when there's bonus episodes, when there's anything going on with Ratchet and Respectable. We will talk again next week. Okay. Bye.